Lloyd with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large, and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought, and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's major league soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's major league soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards Wilmer. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera, only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for tuning in to episode 46 of Give and Go. This is a very, very special episode we got for you today. But before we get into the nitty gritty, first, I got to remind you guys for all the latest and greatest news analysis lifestyle, whatever it is that you need within the world of women's soccer, we got you covered. Go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Again, be sure to give us a follow. We've always got some of the best content coming out all the time. And of course, with this podcast, please make sure you ask Siri. Mobile and Apple Podcast is probably our most popular platform. So if you use that, again, maximize using Apple as much as possible. Subscribe to this. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. And any feedback you give us is greatly, greatly appreciated. This episode is going to be centered mostly around the United Soccer Coaches Convention, uh, which just uh, wrapped up in Kansas City not too long ago and one of our founders and CEO Jen got to sit down with a couple of female soccer rock stars. The first interview we're going to bring you right now is with Mirelle Van Rybroek, the head of talent and scouting for the youth national teams. Mirelle was, as Jen put it, incredibly passionate and educated about the process the U.S. Soccer Federation goes through in finding the right players. These are the players who have the potential of being on the U.S. women's national team one day. That said, Mirelle very much also believes in the incredible journey that playing soccer for a girl can have. 1% of players, just 1% of players reach the U.S. women's national team level. So some of the most important pieces of wisdom she imparts is understanding what your dreams are and understanding the limitations and sacrifices it takes to get there. Let's listen to Mirelle now. I'm sitting here with uh, Mirelle von Reibleck. Yep. Um, the head of talent scouting for the U.S. Soccer Federation. And um, I'm so thrilled to be here with you because for our community, there are so many girls, and I'm talking thousands and thousands, who have a dream to, to play on the level that you get to look for talent uh, at. And um, I must say, I mean, I think it's... I think everybody feels that they could be a scout, right? It's like everybody feels that they know, you know. But what is it that makes a good scout? Like, oh, phew. Um, that's a really interesting question. First of all, I'm, uh, I just want to say, like, I'm also excited to be here and to be on your uh, podcast and specifically the Girls Soccer Network uh, because, of course, like the, the players are uh, the most important ones uh, for us. So it's, it's, it's always about the players. So I'm actually really happy to be here and, you know, like, talk about that. Um, so, yeah, when you're looking at, like, a scout and what are, like, qualities or, of a scout, um, it's really... We, we, we've defined, like, competencies, more or less, like, for a scout. So it's... Um, really like uh, looking with an objective uh, mind uh, to uh, to players uh, is something that is really important uh, some of the things that they need to do of course is then the reporting and and the monitoring uh, uh, of the players uh, another thing which which is really important for them is also that they need to be open for a lot of like self-development um, specifically in the area of talent identification and, and scouting um, a lot is um, a lot is happening. Happening. There are a lot of challenges and constraints that influence the way we look at, at players, and scouts just need to be aware of that. So, 
first of all having an understanding uh, of the game um, but then also knowing what the challenges and constraints are when you're looking at players definitely when you're looking at youth players and I can say a little bit about like what challenges and constraints are those are like having understanding of their growth maturation um, the environment that they're in and then the other part is like the scout also needs to be aligned with um, the philosophy and the mission of either like the club or in our case like the federation so we've defined the style of play principles we've defined like key qualities that we feel are really necessary in order to become a professional player or at least play in the in the women's national team and we've defined profiles and having an understanding and knowing what those are makes it easier and uh, although looking for talent and potential is a difficult task but it makes it easier and it gives a better understanding of what we're looking for how did you develop the ability to do that it's it's a lot of like um, of course like education um, so I think like the way we work with um, with our scouts is we're doing a lot of like education and, and, and awareness and giving them uh, information you know like about scouting and talent ID but most of it is also um, making them familiar with the key qualities and so we have like six key, we've defined six key qualities I can mention them if you want Please, them yeah so our six key qualities are understanding the game and decision making and below that there are a lot of behaviors that you can actually see on the field that a player uh, is uh, shows so for example um, if a player scans continuously in a game or if, if uh, a player adapts a certain like body shape or if you can see that they um, can read uh, situations uh, in the game. So that's number one. Uh, then number two is also a growth mindset and a winning mentality. Uh, so that's number two. There are also behaviors underneath that. Um, then the third one is, um, we call it more like responsible and initiative. So that's about like the self-regulation, self-regulated skills. And then we have technical execution, which is a lot about like ball mastery and uh, skills, controlling or having skills. Then the next one is uh, technical execution, which is about like how do you move like on the field, uh, your agility, your coordination, are you able to, you know, like accelerate um, in a movement uh, on the field? Um, can you have like high uh, uh, intensive runs and can you repeat that? Uh, and then uh, the last one, the number six one, is learning ability. And that is the ability to really adapt quickly to like higher uh, levels and, and, and new um, circumstances and also um, processing information really quickly. So those are those six key qualities. And we've uh, defined those with a lot of video. So that's, we show that also to like our scouts who are in our scouting network. We actually share those things also with clubs, um, but also of course like with players, uh, so that they get an understanding of like, okay, this is what we're looking for. And I have to say also, because we're working with youth players, it, um, you have to take in consideration their uh, their age, but also their the way they develop, their developmental phases. Uh, so, I was talking about one of the key qualities, self-regulation. When you're like 11, 12, or 13 years old, you might not have a lot of those skill or have that skill set, but you're able to develop it. You're able to learn. So, a lot of things like in the key qualities still also need to be developed. So I think that's one of the... And those are, that's really about the family and the parents, in a sense, giving the child, I think, at that age, um, you know, modeling that kind of behavior, too. I mean, so much of it is their environment, too. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on, because um, we're always talking a lot about, like, talent, but talent is very, like... It's very like I, I also sometimes a mistaken word in, in a way because it could mean so much. So what we've tried to do is like really narrow the definition of talent, like what it means for us. Because if I would ask ten people here in this convention and they would all say like 
somehow like different things. So I think that's really important. So we've tried to define that and we've tried to define also like what we're looking for. And that's something that a club or, you know, sh should do as well, like what we're looking for. And that also, of course, um, um, has to do like with the environment. So what kind of environment do you uh, want to create? Um, because the environment, a player always develops with his or her environment. So the characteristics that you're going to develop are, you know, like based on that environment. I always say like uh, context shapes talents and parents are a really important um, yeah, they're really important in that development of the player, but also creating that environment and also creating that context uh, for the player. So therefore, for parents, having understanding um, is really is really important matter. Do you work with the parents at all? Is that part of what you do? I know that we, we talked a little bit about yeah. that before we started yeah. the podcast. It's not necessarily that we work like a lot like directly with the parents in a way like of course we we ha we are involved like uh, or we have we're involved like with the parents of course because like when we have players in our identification centers or when players get into our youth national team there are always like moments that you are interacting of course like uh, with parents uh, one of the things what I've what I also do is like I get like questions you know like from players that you know like they have a certain dream but they don't know exactly you know like what to do so or like how they can be noticed uh, you know like those kind of things so if people like reach out then um, we'll set up like conversations like meetings uh, virtual meetings uh, sometimes also in person depends a little bit like if you're in a camp and then you happen to see um, a parent then it's probably more informal but then we set up meetings um, because the most important thing for me is always the the dream of the player so what is your dream what is your goal uh, because that determines um, you know like your pathway um, but also creating more awareness about like the landscape and, and what that looks like and because the parents are so important in that uh, perspective um, that's always like a meeting like with the parents and the player and we never tell them you know like what they should do uh, it's more or less giving them uh, an understanding giving them context about like what this landscape look like uh, what kind of steps they are able to take uh, and then for them it's just like to figure out like okay what kind of environment or what kind of program or what do I need in order to take those little steps to achieve um, to achieve my dream and those are like conversations that we uh, we have and um, and I think it's that is you know like really important because um, for me that's somewhere like step one in in their journey absolutely and, and then step two in a certain way it's a good segue is to talk about the clubs right yeah so how how involved what is that relationship with the federation and the clubs and, and yeah we're, we're trying to build a relationship with the clubs because that's really important um, so if you look at our philosophy uh, we want to build a relationship with the communities and we also feel that like clubs are the basic foundation uh, because the player is in the club is in that daily environment and, and, and is developing over there so for them it's also really important to know you know like what talent id is if they do like uh, initiatives and talent id development but also what you know like what we're looking for so we have three talent id managers uh, full-time they're in um, three areas so we've divided the country in east central west and our talent id managers communicate regularly uh, with the clubs next to that we are also hosting like uh, webinars workshops so last year we did several workshops and seminars with with the clubs in order to um, you know just give them uh, more information understanding yeah educate them you know like what we're looking for um, and then basically all, also the other communication is like when we've had identification centers we always follow up with the clubs share with them the profiles we share with them the video so that they can go back with the player of course because we feel like the, the player needs to take learn to take ownership you know like in her own development so she starts like looking at the video can also talk about it with the club coach and um, so that is a relationship that we 
trying to build with the, with the clubs. Uh, we try also to involve them in uh, recommendations. So we've developed an, um, an online tool where we've asked them to uh, fill out their uh, entire rosters uh, for the players, also how they feel like the, how the players develop, what is the potential of the players. Um, and having that information gives us also the possibility to you know, like do, look deeper at certain uh, certain players, and of course that helps us because the country is so big. So we need we need all the help. So the clubs are vital in that um, uh, in that process. I think the only thing also what we're trying to do is like we're trying to educate because um, we're looking for players for the youth national team and talent. Of course, you have that at all levels, like from local to regional to national. Um, but like um, really making um, clubs aware of like what the level is needed on the highest level, I think that is still something that we constantly constantly work on because a, a player might be really good in the team or in the club in that specific local area, but how is that player compared nationwide where we have you know like so many? So that is still like a, a big challenge for us. I think probably like the most important thing of course is to know like talent is like in all sorts and sizes and so on um, getting the attention of course like for the for the federation is we're looking for players that have ultimately like the potential that can play at our women's national team so that means that um, you know like not all players are at that level you know so um, that of course like makes it sometimes uh, uh, more difficult but also to understand is that um, yeah you, ha you might have like a certain ceiling uh, ultimately uh, which might not result in, in in the women's in the women's national team I think the most important thing what I can say is like if you have to figure out like what is your dream you know what is your dream what do you want if that's the women's national team that means there are like some consequences in your journey like in your the way that you develop um, because if you want to play ultimately on the highest international level um, there, you need to be in a really good environment. So ultimately, if you're not in the right environment, you need to start looking, okay, what could be like a better environment or what kind of things could I do, you know, like to improve myself to get to the next level? Because if you're like 12 years old or 13 years old, it's more about like looking, okay, the environment that I'm in, is that environment like challenging me? And, uh, you know, um, Am I am I growing? Am I developing the players that I play with? You know, like are they uh, challenging me? You know, like to be to become to become better. Um, you have to think about like, okay, how many days a week do I play? How many days a week do I train? Uh, what is the you know like quality of training sessions? Because ultimately, that is also important. You know, like towards the the, the future. So. Um, those are little things that you have to think about as a player is um, what is my dream what is my goal um, and then um, getting more awareness about like what is needed in order to go to that sort of like environment or find the resources uh, and you had said you had said that there are online resources that um, are provided do you are there places that we can help direct people yeah I think I think that that's probably um, a more difficult it's not like that we have like things online or anything like that I think like what you're trying to do with your network is 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 great is trying to uh, give them an insight in uh, like the possibilities um, uh, like what is needed and having maybe like you know like different experts uh, you know like t talking about this um, so in that sense of course like I'm, I'm always like happy to talk about um, you know what is needed in order to um, you know like to to get to the uh, to get to the highest level uh, I think the most important thing for us is um, as a player you have to take ownership and that means that the first step in this is 
um, creating awareness of like what is the what is the environment that you're in what is what does the landscape look like the soccer landscape what kind of clubs do I have in my environment and then look at like okay what do they provide like how many training sessions are those a week what is the quality of the coaches are the coaches like licensed those are like little little things what is maybe the vision and the philosophy of the club because in, in how they want to uh, play but even also how they develop uh, develop players and also what kind of players uh, do they uh, develop um, so these are like already like little things that a player can can look at um, recently in sports uh, men and women's um, there's been a lot of mental health issues right they come along with it sports are living that dream you know yeah. you sacrifice a lot um, is that something that you guys think about you know do you provide um, any kind of yeah. help with that yeah I think you touch on a really great point uh, for me like healthiness is so important and actually I did um, a presentation yesterday where I showed the more like the talent ID and the complexity and if you look at like um, I had like different steps you know like how you can create more like successful talent identification and healthiness is is a big area in that and I call it also more like psychological well-being uh, basically and that is really important and one of the things that you touches on is like we need to um, do that proactive upfront so the most important thing is like giving helping players uh, and helping them to find like tools in order to develop some sort of like you know like mental toughness um, how they can work on their uh, psychological well-being that is about like how they can take about like their load uh, you know like uh, how they can manage like expectations um, all those kind of things um, so within the federation definitely that uh, is an, uh, an important uh, subject uh, we actually also yesterday morning in the convention uh, with um, uh, my colleagues they had a, also a presentation about like uh, mental uh, mental health um, so that is definitely something that we are um, um, working on um, and also important things that we have even in like in key qual in our key qualities you know some of the things if you look at like a growth mindset for example but also um, uh, responsible uh, responsibility uh, initiative and, and, and self-regulation there are of course like elements of uh, that psychological well-being in and I think one of the most important things is um, and we spoke about it already earlier this morning is about having the love for the game and keeping love for the game and staying in the game and even also if you might not get into the women's national team or whatever that when you've gone through that journey that you fill your backpack with so many uh, great um, opportunities uh, tools that will help you also in other avenues in your life and maybe that might not be then the player in the women's national team but you might you might be able to become like a really good coach or like a referee or maybe even an administrator or maybe even on the board you know like of an association or a, or a club or whatever so I think those things are also uh, you know like important to know because yeah. yeah that's that's why we're also saying like it's not like that you're developing only like the soccer player you're developing a human being and that is, should be like the first the first thing it's like I'm developing like a human being you know like in the greatest way possible and of course like soccer is that is is th th that soccer, uh, second element because you know we're playing soccer we're trying to develop uh, soccer players um, but for me because I know that there are not that many players that ultimately get into the women's national team or reach the highest level if you look at like we've got like somewhere around like maybe three million girls young girls like playing in the US and maybe even more I know because we've if you look at the registration almost three million but we probably have more because there are so many that we don't even know like only 
not even like one percent will make it to the you know like the women's national team so it is really important that all those others um you know get their journey and pathway for life and that they uh, develop skill sets that they can use also um in in other avenues and like that player journey is for me also something that is like of a personal interest been in the game now for like a long time and one of those things you know like that you're working on is when i worked for the netherlands as for the dutch federation i've started um you know uh, noticing that there were so many players and parents that have questions about this so for me that was like really like a big area that i could touch on like um, you know, like making a player journey, like a full player journey, vision, motivation. What are you most excited about for the future? Um, I'm most excited about like that I feel like we have a long way to go. Uh, and definitely uh, I feel like in, um, in, in, in the youth landscape, uh, you know, like creating like opportunities for girls in all areas. Um, so um, still what I notice uh, is that we're like a pay-to-play uh, sport and some girls from so certain social economic status it's sometimes really difficult you know to get in so hopefully towards the future we can go to the um, so that everybody has access because that's one of the things for talent you need to get access to a specific environment and you need to get that opportunity uh, so hopefully we're going to go in that direction um, so um, that's that's going to be excited hopefully you know like creating more awareness and that players can get into that uh, uh, pathway and you see uh, the game more and more evolving it, it's, it's great to see now for example that um, uh, in Spain that in the women's game Barcelona has been sold out you know so it's like over 90,000 you know so I think that's exciting to see it so hopefully there's going to be more um, attention for the for the sport more opportunities um, hopefully also healthy investments more equality which uh, yeah that would be, uh, that, would be that would be great and yeah I know it's it's it's, it's growing it's developing and, and in some ways sometimes it takes uh, it takes time but um, I think it's yeah that's the exciting part again that was Mirel van Rijbrick uh, from the Netherlands and it, I found that interview so interesting. Not only did she go into, you know, give six different points on what they look for, but so much of that was focused on the mental aspect of, of where your game is at and how strong you are mentally. Can you read the game, right? Those are things that have nothing to do with physical skills. Those are all mental. So it's such a big part of this game. It isn't just the physical tools, it's the mental ones as well. And if you can hone both, right, that's how you become a much more well-rounded player. And again, she brings a unique mindset, a different perspective to the U.S. women's national team. It's important that we bring in international figures who have looked at the sport of soccer with a different lens, a different outlook. And that's exactly what she brings. The Dutch look at the game completely differently. Total football. Um, Johan Cruyff obviously changed the way that we think about the game. And so hearing someone like Mirel speak um, to Jen in the way that she did you could see just how much wisdom how much knowledge she has but the mindset at which she looks at the game is totally different in a little bit more of a holistic way and how they are mentally it isn't just about talent right there are other things that go into being a great player and we really hope that you know you guys take everything that she said to heart and if it is something that you want to do and dream and strive for one day then you know dream big and and keep pressing forward all right we we believe in you at gsn we're going to keep supporting you no matter what okay before we get into the second interview that we have again all from the coaches convention it was an incredible time 
you know, Jen got the chance to tell me, which I will relate to you guys, just how incredible of an event it was to see so many like-minded coaches and, and people who just love the game and are really, truly trying to make an impact in their communities. And that's what this is all about. Sports has the power to change lives when things are good. Obviously, there's other aspects that are certainly negative that we're going to get to in a second, but the overall idea of the convention, what it stands for, what people go there for is a truly beautiful event and and it was awesome for you know us at gsn to be able to get the opportunity to go there and to kind of get our word out there as well so we have a great strong you know mutual beneficial relationship between the media and the players and coaches like i said before we get into the second interview with leslie gallimore uh, we've got to get in get you caught up on some of the important nwsl and other news from around the soccer landscape First off, we're looking at a strike here in the NWSL, an unprecedented move here. We're talking about the Players Association has been in negotiations with the league for more than a year on getting a collective bargaining agreement together. Now, for those at home who don't know what that is, that's merely a bargaining agreement to where the owners and players make sure that they split the revenue of the league in a way that is beneficial to everyone, right? The players need to make sure they get a bigger piece of the pie, essentially, and that's what this is for. But then when you look at everything that happened with so many different owners and coaches and in the front office, clearly the, the Players Association is on another level in, in terms of how they execute compared to the organizational structure of what some of these other, the actual teams have, which is absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, the players need uh, some type of guarantee or some way to, you know, assure not only their safety, but just to make sure that they get the best possible treatment that they get everything that they need. Every other sport has gotten to a point where you have a CBA and it's negotiated in a way to where it benefits the players. The NBA was probably the biggest one. And I'm sure the WNBA has, you know, has some type of CBA as well, but when they have, you know, they put that in place, the players are happy now. The players have more power, and that's the goal of the CBA. And so, since there is no sign of that deal getting done, we're looking at a strike for the season, which is pretty crazy to think about. These are just, again, I've said it many times before, just growing pains that we need to, to get through uh, in order to, you know, the light is sort of there at the end of the tunnel. It, doesn't, it seems bleak at this stage, but we need to keep you know, building the infrastructure of the league in this way so that it is sustainable over a much longer period of time. And so for the for the owners, you know, when you look at that Steve Baldwin situation with the spirit and everything, like this is exactly why we need to have a CBA, like exactly why. So hopefully this deal gets done, um, but we could be looking at, you know, a pause for at least a couple weeks, maybe even a month. Stay tuned on that. Hopefully it doesn't last that long because we all need our end WSL, but um, hopefully, you know, these both sides can come to an agreement soon. Other important news uh, within the NWSL and outside of it, uh, we have Michelle Akers coming on to join Amanda Cromwell, former U.S. Women's National Team teammates together. Now, Akers joins as an assistant to focus more on player development, um, which is going to be key for them considering they have given away just about everyone. All they've got left is Marta and Sydney LaRue, and everyone else is pretty much gone. They've shipped Taylor Korniak off somewhere, so even her as being a, a key young piece for that team is is no longer an option. So um, they've signed Julie Doyle to a contract, but you're just wondering who is going to play for the Orlando Pride. They've also traded Alex Morgan away to San Diego. So it really makes you wonder, you know, Amanda Cromwell seems to be getting full autonomy uh, in what she's going to be able to create there. I don't know what the relationship is with her and the front office and GM, but I mean... You're going to have some work to do here to really try and make sure that this team is competitive. You know, otherwise, Sydney LaRue and Marta are just going to have to really put the team on their backs and carry this team to scoring goals and creating chances because I'm not sure where where else this talent, you know, is going to be with Orlando. They've really stripped everything bare. And then on top of that, they don't get me official who played for Coach Amanda Cromwell at UCLA. 
and everyone thought it was going to be a perfect match. Oh my God, they're reunited. It's going to be amazing. But Mia Fischel goes and signs with Tigres in the Women's uh, Mexican League, which is incredible. It's a huge, huge deal for the Mexican League to get a player like me official and for her to decide and say, hey, I'm not going to the NWSL. Like, that's huge. That is so huge. It really kind of expands things and, and makes makes things, you know, very, very interesting uh, for younger draft picks moving forward. They're not all going to join the NWSL immediately, for sure. They're, they're, they have options, and that's what this move kind of represents. As I mentioned earlier, Alex Morgan getting traded. She's going to be back closer to home now, kind of as the face of of San Diego, the wave. And so it's going to be fun. I think Alex Morgan will be happier back in California, and hopefully she'll have the playing time and the ability necessary to, you know, to contribute more than what she did for Orlando. She did contribute to Orlando, but I think anyone who says, you know, who was a fan of Orlando and when they traded for her, you're expecting a whole lot more and they didn't get enough out of um, her overall tenure in Orlando but a new fresh start in San Diego um, with her family she's got she's got her baby now with you know a much better uh, what should be a much more peaceful and relaxing situation so I think for Alex Morgan it's going to be very very fun to see what the San Diego team puts out on the field coming in 2022. You also have Yuki Nagasato going back to Chicago to be with her fiance. So that's great. It's unfortunate for Louisville that they had to give her up. I mean, that was a key piece of their team. Did really well. Created chances for them. A big cog in their offense is leaving. So that's unfortunate. But to get her back, uh, for Chicago to get her back, that is huge. It really is. They're going to need all the help they can get if they want to try and keep that core together. And they want to keep that core together without... Uh, Rory Dames now at the helm. So that whole Chicago situation is going to be very interesting. We also have Lindsey Horan leaving the Thorns. Don't worry, Thorns fans. We've seen this picture before. It's not temporary. It's just a loan move. But she is going back to France. Of course, Lindsey Horan uh, did not enter the uh, NWSL draft and went straight to Lyon. Um, so she is very much one of those American trailblazers who already went in a different direction. It worked out for her. And now she's going to join one of the premier clubs in the world where she's going to get the chance to win more trophies. So um, she's 110% going to be a starter or, you know, should be able to work herself into that team to where she's playing regularly and contributing a lot because her style of play fits a lot of what that Leon team wants to try to do in attack. So I think that's a great move for her. Gets a change of scenery. Mark Parsons isn't there. You've got a new Thorns coach coming in with things to figure out uh, in, in this upcoming year. So this was probably the right time for Lindsay Horan to go. Another shocking piece of info, A-Rod, Amy Rodriguez, one of the all-time greats, is gone, retired, without a trace, out of nowhere, poof, and no one said anything. We, we literally found out from USC, her alma mater and the school that is going to make her an assistant coach now uh, at USC, which is huge. It's going to help with recruiting. It's going to help with their overall play. It's going to help so much, but <laughs> it just happened out of the blue, and North Carolina is in deep deep trouble now deep trouble they have given up given away all their key assets a lot of their key assets and now you have a rod a person who you gave up so much for retiring the following year yeah this is going to be tough for north carolina to to recover um they've i'm pretty sure <laughs> did they not trade lynn williams as well <laughs> you can check me on that but uh you know i think the courage are going to be an interesting outfit this year based on how they drafted how are they going to play are they going to play a similar style with a similar system it's going to be very interesting but a rod she got no type of retirement send-off, so we're going to give you one. A-Rod, you are truly one of the all-time greats uh, in U.S. women's national team history. One of the more underrated players. Your name might not get mentioned when we talk about, you know, the Carly Lloyds, the Alex Morgans, the Christine Lillies, the, you know, but you are still one of the all-time greats. Two-time Olympic gold, World Cup champ, 
two-time NWSL champion. She's won everything that has needed to be won at this level. She's one of the most accomplished, the most winningest. Came back from two, not one, but two pregnancies, which is like a, a feat unlike any other. And not to only come back, but to not even miss a step. Like she, if you give her a sliver of daylight, you give her just a little bit of daylight, she will punish you. And before you know it, the ball's in the back of the net. Before you know it, the goalie's taking that ball out. If you make one mistake, just one, you cannot give her an inch. The heart of a warrior, the heart of a champion, no matter what, she would always bring it. And we're going to miss, you know, that fiery, intense, passionate person that's out there on the pitch. Uh, so thank you, Amy Rodriguez, for everything that you gave for your country and for, you know, your club teams, for just your career. We thank you for it because it was truly a joy and a pleasure to watch it unfold. Thank you. Lastly, before we get into the last interview, Sam Kerr making big news. I don't think it should come as a surprise um, in their 18 nothing drubbing in their last game. She surpassed Tim Cahill as the all time uh, Matilda's leading goal scorer, men or female. So that's huge for Sam Kerr's legacy, what she means. I mean, she's cl clearly, in a way, the best ever player in. Um, you know, Australian soccer history. You know, Tim Cahill might actually have to move over. Tim Cahill's had an incredible career, uh, but Sam Kerr is quickly, you know, going to break all of his records. Tim Cahill played for so long to get those 54 goals. He played at least 15 years. Sam Kerr's done it in about half that time, broke his records. So, you know, she's going to have all types of Matilda's records when she's done. One of the, again, best strikers, if not the best striker, whoever you want to give that title to whether it's Hegerberg or Kerr or Parder, whoever you want to give that, or Miedema, right? Whoever you want to give that best striker in the world title to, um, I, I would give it to Sam Kerr, though. And, and she continues to prove that, you know, day in and day out, game in and game out, year in and year out. Just one of the best. So congrats to Sam Kerr on being the all-time leading goal scorer in Matilda's history. All right, next up... Jen got to sit with Leslie Gallimore, the highly decorated soccer player, coach, and administrator. She's been part of the Sports Envoy on behalf of the United States State Department, working for empowering women and girls through sports initiatives. This is a woman who has touched every tentacle of the women's game and left pretty much everything better than when she started. Now, she finds herself at the head of the Girls Academy League, a new league born out of the ashes of the development academy, which fell apart just as the pandemic started. Let's have a listen. Hello, we're here with Leslie Gallimore, the commissioner of the Girls Academy, here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Kansas City. I'm sitting down with Leslie right now, and uh, honored to have you on Give and Go. I'm honored to be on Give and Go. Uh, I, you know, I've watched and read and listened to your content, you know, for a while now, so... Happy to be here. Happy to be back at the convention after two years. Me to too. Yeah, no, it feels really good. I've been watching what's going on with the Girls Academy. I want to hear about what it was like to kind of resurrect what felt like a mess with the, the, the DA. Yeah. It feels like you're brick by brick creating something that's completely different than that. Let's talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I don't... I, mess the world has been a mess so you know i always say sport is a microcosm of life <laughs> so the da dropping u.s soccer dropping the development academy a month into the pandemic was kind of par for the course in life it was all just a mess and uh i think we are the resurrection through the ga and building this league out of necessity to be honest has been a marvel uh, for me to kind of step back after 16, 18 months and look at. I don't, I don't think, you know, drastically different is is correct. I, there were a lot of things in the development academy that were that people bought into, that academy directors bought into, clubs bought into, their players and their parents bought into, and three years in, we're just getting accustomed to how that platform worked and, and what the benefits were and what the great things about it were. But the post-traumatic stress disorder that came from having the rug pulled out from under them and sort of the betrayal, if you will, 
I think is the best way that I can tell when I came into this job that people felt and that I saw with people that I knew working in the youth game. Uh, it was it was deep hurt, and the timing, oof, for kids, painful, you know, uh, and the the fear mongering that was going on amongst the youth, you know, people that are in the sport trying to grab their piece and snag kids in the dark of night to come to their club when they didn't think they were going to have a place to play. It was the kindest word I can use. I was sickened, to be honest, with some of the behavior of adults. That's, you know, all kinds of adults. <laughs> How did you come into this position? Yeah. How did I get roped into this is the question. So two years ago, uh, this time, I was president of United Soccer Coaches, and I was entering into my last year of my collegiate career. So it was January of 2020, and that would be uh, uh, 2019. That would be my last season coaching. January 2020 rolls around where I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I think I'm retired, sort of. But I'm working for CONCACAF. You know, am I going to be a professional coach? Am I going to be just a coach educator and let that be sort of my side hustle that I do? Not, you know, part-time, but I really want to stay involved with the game. There's all kinds of things. And everyone that I know that has retired um, from anything is just take your time. Like, don't jump back into something quickly. Just don't. You won't, you know, just take some time. And I was doing some coaching education. I had been in Santa Domingo with the U-20s, um, working for CONCACAF. Came back to Bradenton, Florida in March. The pandemic hit during one of our coaching schools. Came home. A month later, the DA drops. April 15th, tax day. And I watch my best friend and my associate head coach of 24 of my 26 years at UW, I watch her club almost disintegrate overnight. There's this underground war going on and parents colluding to have their kids okay, one, this age group's going to go to this club, this age group's going to go to that club. It's all just disbanding. And, you know, their director, my friend, is like, whoa, 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 we're not going anywhere. Like, we're not folding. Our club is not folding. No. Like, what? And trying to talk people off the ledge. And a bunch of her teams did end up leaving. When all was said and done, her oldest age group, which was probably her best team, um, they ended up, good percentage of those players stayed. And she is, in two years, built the rest of her club around them. So back to how I got roped in. The current president, upcoming president, Ashley Faunus Comer, um, who I'd been on the board with, reached out to me. She had started to get involved in s to see what could happen because she's obviously a big proponent of girls and women and women's soccer. And angry again that girls are getting kind of hung out to dry. Boys sort of fall in the lap of the MLS. And then I was watching what Amy was going through with OL Rain in Seattle. I'm still sitting at home in my basement. And, you know, wow, retirement is awesome <laughs> during a pandemic. Me and my dog staring at each other. And Amy was on all these Zooms. This board was on, they were on Zooms easily 60 hours a week. They approached me um, in June and whatever heartstrings that were being tugged I said yes and it was the first eight months of it in particular Oof, what a learning curve it's a whole new thing for me you've done so many things from being a player to being a coach to being an administrator what is it that gives you the the best focus for being a commissioner like what is it that gives you the best uh, advantage yeah i i think for me it goes back to being a player to be honest interesting and my own personality as a player you know if you, if, if if i were to like look at my younger self and describe my youth career through my college career through my national pool career into you know i played into my well into my 40s did i play over 50 i didn't i played well into my 40s in is, is I always was sort of a, a person on the team that just always wanted the team to do well. I, I just I was a leader as a young as a young person as a young coach. I was cast into a coaching role as a player on my college team. The minute I finished college, my head coach said, "Please stay and be an assistant." So I was always someone who was you know I was a center back and all center backs. You know some goalkeepers will tell you they're the they're the best you know leaders on the field. But uh, as a center back, you kind of see everything, you control things as far as um, sort of the tactics of the game. The strategy you see things that maybe see players field. in the middle of it yeah so I was always that type of, of person that felt like I just wanted whatever I was a part of to do well and I felt like if I could have any say in that I was certainly going to lend a hand but it goes back to being a player I've just always put myself in a position like 
how do I help the team get better? And as a coach, that's how I always tried to lead is from a place where, all right, what do we all need for us all to succeed? And so as a commissioner, I think the biggest learning curve has probably been uh, not wearing my heart on my sleeve as much as I typically do. Uh, I tend to be a little overly trusting of what people say and coming from an environment where you know you recruit players and they buy into you and they buy into your program and they buy into the team philosophy and you spend time recruiting them and everyone seems to be on the same page and for the most part you are and you figure out who isn't and you figure out how to get on the same page and a thing as big as you sport particularly at this time when soccer went sideways for girls there were a lot there were a lot of people that i was like okay that, this i gotta i gotta stop talking listen more say very little and just put my head down and trust my own gut and my own intuition on who's telling me the truth and who just want something for themselves right so i mean it's been it hasn't been that long and we're still in a pandemic correct. and yet you guys have turned a corner i feel that way i yeah. do and that is i mean i from the outside it really does look like that kudos to you the da had good things about it one of the things you know was a huge issue for me and many other people was the inability to let kids play high school just talk about that high school soccer for girls specifically but i think high school sports in general especially since competitive sports it's pushed them out of their normal social environments which is you know growing up for most of us back in the day your social environment was your school environment and it's taken a lot of them out of that, um, particularly when they live in areas where they have to drive forever to try to find a team, or they're, they're all over the map as far as where they play and how much they travel during the year, how much they're sacrificing other social events. I do think that the DA, from a standards perspective, that after three years, I think kids were just getting used to it, which was what was even more traumatizing about it blowing up. It's like, oh, you know, there's kids right in the middle of their high school career that never played for their high school. And they didn't really miss it that much, some of them, but do we go back to it? So the thing for me, and as a college coach, I was like this, I would never tell a kid to not play high school soccer. I would tell them if it's a great environment and socially you like it and it makes you happy, do it. If it doesn't, don't. And I just think it comes down to the word choice. And it's what our league is all about, that girls, we want them to be empowered to understand that they have a choice, not just in their playing pathway, but in their lives, like teaching them to make choices that, that are best for them uh, and that help them in the future and that give them uh, a sense of control over their own destiny, so to speak. It sounds a little Absolutely. philosophical, but no, if you I, take choices away from people, I think you automatically start at a point of contention. I'm the same way. Yeah. You know, social media has a lot of really terrible things about it at the same time um, there's positive things and it's the world we live in yeah so how do you you know show the girls how to lift each other up through this and that's that is absolutely what we try to do yeah one of the things that you guys are doing that i love is um you have an advisory advisory boards and you have a player players advisory board talk about that talk about how you who are those players how do they get to be in that yeah, very special. I mean, the process, yeah, the process is really cool as far as um, either being nominated or self-nominating or wanting to do it, and the sort of trickle up and trickle down effect of every team having a representative and then every club having a representative. Our eight conferences have two representatives, and and I have an ambassador. One one player that is a senior in high school that is my ambassador to the commissioner. I, I invented that this year because I felt I was getting out of touch. I just needed one person where she and I could kind of stay involved and um, and keep our finger on the pulse of what the advisory panel is doing and then we have adult leaders from every conference that uh, that meet with them program with them and listen to them it's, that's the biggest thing is listening to players there isn't what marks success only right is it the percentage of girls that go to division one schools is it the percentage of girls that go on to play college at all it's a loaded question i think much like beauty success is in the eye of the beholder so and you talk about social media uh if you were to ask most of our directors who their paid jobs are to uh, provide a specific experience for the girls meaning that they put them in a learning environment through sport 
that they enjoy, uh, that they, they improve in, that they're able to compete in, where they can get better, where they can maximize their potential. The college pathway, the youth national team pathway, not every kid aspires to it. The majority of them do that want to play in a high-level league. So there's that. And, and to be honest, you know, most clubs and people that are parents that are paying for their kids to play sports, they, you have to, they're the paying customer. You have to um, market and structure your organization around what they want. And that's a piece of it. Um, to me, I measure success by happy, safe kids that will love the game for life and that they understand that as a girl in this game, you matter as much as a boy playing in this game, period. That's the only way I measure success. Mental health has been a huge topic this year for, for men, but really for female athletes that have just come out. Some soccer players as well. Beth mm-hmm. uh, Balls blogged for us all. Hometown yeah. team, yeah. She's um, awesome. She's amazing. And you know how forthright she was and is about her issues. How are you guys as a league addressing those things with young girls? With the mental health piece, we are trying to um, steer our advisory panel and steer our league in a way that conferences and clubs know where their resources are for their girls. And one of the things I said yesterday, and you mentioned Bethany Balser, but the Bethany Balsers of the world, the Naomi Osaka's of the world, the Simone Biles of the world, um, any high-profile athlete that looks like or competes in the same sport or is of the same ethnic background or any time a girl can see someone that is similar to them, that they have possibly something shared with, that's that's comes out publicly with that kind of courage and bravery to say something difficult uh, personal that's difficult they have zero i mean i think bethany may know now but she has no idea how deep that runs with the girls in our league you know and we have an academy attached to that protein so the girls in the all rain academy absolutely um, worship the ground bethany walks on as well as a lot of the other players who have learned that their voices matter. It's exciting. I mean, you're, it's a baby. Yeah. You, know, you really can form this. And that's the thing for me, right, is the patience to not, to know that I can't, we as a, an organization, and me as the commissioner, we can't do it all overnight. Right. Their soccer environment, which is the only thing I have even a modicum of control over, is is protected and safe in a place where they can be without fear of facing any kind of harm, whether it's emotional, physical, discriminatory. Um, so we that's something we invested in, you know, this year that I think is a big makes a big difference. A little bit like the Me Too movement is fine in, in some ways, but it, it finally coming, you know from the brave voices of women who just decided like this has to be told yeah and and feeling safe enough within a group that knew to say you got to do this this is going to help so many people and it it doesn't make their life any easier to talk about it no (laughs) you know it doesn't their hurt their pain their hurt what they suffered will never go away yeah and and for people to not understand that um is difficult for me to understand (laughs) they just have to know from my point of view what it's done for the girls in our league to have that brought to the forefront so they now look around and say we have to teach girls at a very very young age what's okay and what's not okay yeah in the behavior and the way that you're treated your sporting environment. What about the pay-to-play concept, which is still largely what's running soccer here in this country? And um, how are you bringing in girls from underserved communities to the girls' academy? Well, we actively aren't yet as far as initiatives, but that's another big one on the top of my docket. And, you know, one of the things that I think has been extremely popular and, and, and the way that people have tried and some better than others that make a concerted effort to and this is for underserved populations i would say socioeconomically girls of color uh and it has been working within their own clubs financially to scholarship kids and when we do interviews and applications every club in our league has some form of scholarship to me personally it's not it's not the answer 
it's a way yeah. and it helps in corporate sponsorship and trying to figure out ways to help people that can't afford it afford it but how do we make it overall for everyone something that isn't just it isn't about the money um so but underserved populations in particular my next step would be to i don't think plucking good players out of their own communities and putting them on teams that are outside of their own shared experience with their friends that they grow up with is the answer and until we start investing in coaches in those communities investing in teams in those communities i'm just saying this out loud for the first time in my head i've always thought about this sister program of every club in our league has to have a sister program that uh, we partner with and we we don't take the kids out of their club and put them in our team we can certainly give them experiences if they if they weren't playing at that level but we're not going to just do it by taking the kid and putting that one kid in there we're going to build them where they are build them up where they are in their communities you know, coaching licenses for women, especially um, in underserved populations. It starts with getting the coaches there, and girls will play if they see a coach that looks like them. Right. Uh, last question: um, short-term goal, long-term? Yeah. Well, the fact that this league has only been around for 16 to 18 months, I got to get my months right. How long yeah. has this been, Alex? How long has it been? <laughs> Two years in April yeah. is when the DA dropped. So whatever, 18 months, I, uh, somewhere in there. Yeah. Feels like 10 years. The pandemic yeah. feels like 10 years. Yeah. Um, and it all happened in an interesting time for me. So short term for us is to, uh, and short term to me is the second half of our season right now is short term. We have a lot of things we've been working really, really hard on behind the scenes that uh, we need to finish up before the end of the year when we start our, we'll finish our membership campaign and move forward into year three with uh, whoever our clubs are going to be. And so the short term is to kind of dot our I's and cross our T's and, and align with and bring on some partnerships that I think will really benefit the girls. And we have a lot of those that are, I can just feel them right under the surface that when we solidify that, it'll help our direction. And we don't feel like we're always, not necessarily putting out a fire, but reacting. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we haven't had time as a board other than on Zoom to sit down in person and take a weekend or four days to sit around and have an actual annual general meeting or a board meeting where we can talk all day and go to lunch and come back and everyone's doing their normal jobs and our board is not paid. Um, it's me and I have now three full-time employees but one part-time and everyone's like trying to live their life and it's just hard for me to it's not hard for me to report to them, but it's hard for me to look at them and think like how much I ask of them that I need help with and they know it. So it's, it's a lot of work for a lot of really good people. The original board, um, having done as all directors, a ridiculously insane, crazy job of putting this together in the first place. Um, along with the other directors in the league. I mean, it's a, it's really a, a work of love. It really is. And to have the ability to hire me and then, restructure the board to professionalize it a little bit more to take some directors off and put on people with financial expertise with marketing expertise with legal expertise every board needs that um, particularly in the soccer world I mean you, you can't just have people arguing X's and O's and player movement you have to have some people on there that understand how to reconcile the books <laughs> um, but it, so, so the long term goal is to continue to grow our staff in a meaningful way we, we don't I think the lovely thing about it right now is we are a, a tightly run ship and sometimes there's a beauty to being smaller, I, I think, 100%. Um, but I, I want to get to the point, and we're close, I can really feel it, where any upset in the soccer market, in quotation marks, doesn't really rock us too much. I mean, we have been through the ringer, these clubs have been through the ringer, uh, th there's been too much hard work put into this to not feel like we're cemented in the landscape. Uh, so the long-term goal is to continue to grow and to weed, to be honest. I mean, I, I, my dream is for this to be a league that people look at it and DEI isn't even a thing because they look at our league and they say like, these guys are nailing it. Right. And girls not mattering, yeah. it's the only thing we care about. Yeah. So they look at our league and it's like they're focused on the girls. They're not waiting for someone else to help them. They're doing it themselves, led by a woman and who played yeah. at a pretty high level. So I know what they want and I know what they're going through. I just I have firsthand experience and to do it with people that feel the same way about it. 
and and really are passionate about getting it right for girls once and for all so that when they go off into whatever it is they do next that one that they love the game for life that they somehow find a way to give back to the game regardless of whether they're playing or not and that in their their own lives that soccer gave them a voice and a, a confidence to make them productive citizens, to help them be productive citizens. And, and I, I know from being a college coach for 30 some odd years, that that's the, that's the effect you have. Yeah. And so I'm the coach of our league. <laughs> um, I was a coach of women for 30 something years. I never got it right 100% of the time, but I got it right more, more often than not. Uh, and and that, that's all my long-term goal is, to leave a stamp and a legacy for what this group of people started that I'm lucky enough to be a part of. Again, that was Leslie Gallimore, our founder's CEO, Jen, did an amazing job interviewing the both of them, both uh, Morel and Leslie. You, you know, Leslie is one of those underappreciated figures in women's soccer who has done so much for the game at every level. And you can just hear the fervor and passion in her voice when she speaks just how much she cares about making sure that players are prioritized and protected as the head of the Girls Academy League. So you can see it there with hearing some of the stories of just how parents are and just some of the the things behind the scenes that you have to hear about and deal with um, that can make things far more difficult than you would have anticipated. You know, people just want to play ultimately at the end of the day and the fact that we have, you know, have to deal with the politics of it and how people have to, you know, move teams to do what's best for them or you have to move or drive three hours or four hours or however long. People are so committed to this. It's truly, truly incredible to see uh, people like Leslie Galmore for the love of the game, you know, do what they do. Uh, so again, an amazing interview. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Okay, that is it for episode 46 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for tuning in to us here. Again, you can download Give and Go on all podcasting platforms where you like to listen. And of course, for all the latest and greatest news analysis, lifestyle, everything related to the world of women's soccer, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Again, thank you so, so much for tuning in. We appreciate and love you guys so, so much. Please give us feedback. We've got even more content coming from the coaches convention and a couple other things in the works. So be sure to keep it locked with us. Thank you guys again. Rotas Wadera signing off. Peace.